This episode contains descriptions of body horror and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The following is an excerpt from The Tell-Tale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we reimagine ghostly tales from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we continue our special on Edgar Allan Poe. In honor of Poe's birth month, we're releasing weekly adaptations throughout January of the author's macabre classics. Last week, we began with the 1839 short story, The Fall of the House of Usher. And today, we continue with one of Poe's better-known works, The Tell-Tale Heart. Originally published in 1843, like many of Edgar Allan Poe's horror stories, The Tell-Tale Heart is written from a first-person perspective. I will be telling the story as Philip Langdon, a caretaker for the ailing and elderly. Philip is not your standard unreliable narrator, however, because Philip Langdon has gone mad. Coming up, Philip explains his perfectly sensible reasons for murder. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Thank you for coming to see me, Father Rollins. Believe me, I wish it were under different circumstances. Prison is no place for a sane, warm-hearted man like me. 
I sense you have some trepidation about this visit. Let me assure you, the rumors about me are all false. I am not mad. Once you hear my story, you will surely understand why I did what I did. I am, and have always been, of a completely sound mind. I've been sick, I admit. My illness has been both a blessing and a curse. It's made daily life a struggle. But it's also strengthened my mind and my senses. You cannot imagine the sorts of things I hear. Sounds from heaven. And sometimes, sounds from hell. I've always put others first, Father. Surely you can relate. Like you, I'm a born caretaker. I began at a very early age, when my dear parents contracted consumption. I saw to their every need, even though I was but a boy of ten. I soon learned the hard lesson that God's plans are out of my control. I could not save them. They both died in spite of my care. After that, I was alone in this world. At first I had to steal to survive, but I hated being a thief. It went against my nature to take from others. I needed to find an honest source of income. My skill set was limited. But I was gifted at tending to the sick and frail, so I built a career on my compassion. Before long, I became known in town as the person you trust with your ailing loved ones, because I love them too. I care for them as if they're my own. That is, until they die. And they always die. I truly loved the old man. He was kind and gentle. Even his appearance was welcoming, his stooped shoulders and easy smile. Others may have been put off by his eye patch, but not I. To be honest, I barely even noticed the thing. To me, it was simply a part of his face. The old man was a perfect client. He was grateful for my assistance and often told me so. Feeling appreciated made me happy to attend to his needs, clothing him, feeding him, even bathing him. Until one day, that dreadful day, when I learned why the old man wore that eye patch. I was washing what was left of his hair, and the string of the patch was proving difficult to wash around. The old man gave me a shy smile and said he felt silly. He was so vulnerable, literally sitting naked before me. But he had never let me see him without that eye patch. I assured him that it was no matter. I had cared for people with various conditions and gruesome injuries before. When I said as much to the old man, he again smiled meekly. Then he bowed his head and removed the patch. In an instant, I knew I'd never be able to look at him the same way again. Staring back at me from the old man's skull was a horrible, wicked eye. It was ice blue and covered with a milky film, unlike any eye I'd ever seen. It was like the eye of a vulture. You mustn't misunderstand me. The thing was grotesque, yes, but more than that, it was evil. 
I felt it, deep in my soul. When I looked into its malicious abyss, it was all I could do to tear my gaze away. That's when I knew. I had to close that terrible eye forever. I know what you're thinking, Father Rollins. It's written all over your face. You think I'm mad. I'll admit I've turned to whiskey more than once to push that awful image from my thoughts, but I assure you I'm perfectly sane. If I were mad, I would have gouged it from the old man's skull the moment I saw it. Instead, I came up with a careful plan to banish that wicked eye back to Hades. All week, I acted carefully. I continued to be friendly to the old man so as not to rouse suspicion. I made all of his favorite meals and folded his laundry the way he liked. I read aloud from his favorite books before tucking him into bed each night. As soon as he drifted off, I crept from the room, silently shutting the door behind me. I didn't want him to feel any fear. I loved him, after all. But that vile eye, it tormented me. The old man no longer wore the patch, which meant there was no hiding from it. Under its lifeless, sinister glare, I felt constantly reminded of all the death I'd seen. It was the eye of every ward who had perished under my care. Despite my gentle hand, my attentiveness, or my love, eventually that vacant, gripping stare greeted me at the end of each of their lives. And now it had returned to mock me, reminding me of those who I could not save. I knew it wouldn't stop until it had driven me to madness. I needed to destroy it. After I had put the old man to bed, I would wait outside his room until I was certain he had fallen into a deep slumber. Then, finally, when he started to snore, I put my calculated plan into motion. I began by slowly opening his bedroom door. I reached my hand in, then my head, then I carefully stepped across the threshold. In the pitch darkness, my senses were even more amplified. I could feel heat radiating from the old man's frail body. I smelled his breath, vaguely herbal from his evening tea, and I could hear his heartbeat steadily thumping in his chest. I stood stock still beside the old man's bed, patient, deliberate, waiting until I was absolutely certain he would not detect me. Then, I would gradually raise the cloth from my lantern, letting a sliver of light fall across that ghastly eye. But each night, as the old man slept, the eye was always closed, so I would silently retreat. This was my routine for seven nights. Could a madman have acted so thoughtfully? With such control? <laughs> I think not. Each morning, I would re-enter the old man's bedroom promptly at 8am. Good morning, I cried as I flung open the curtains, letting the sunlight stream onto his bed. The old man would greet me with a jovial, 
Oh, good morning to you. He was never cross and always grateful at the chance to live another day. I would set his breakfast tray on his lap and while he ate, I asked how he slept. His answer was always positive and usually contained some compliment for his humble caretaker. On the last morning of his life, he said, I always sleep soundly knowing you're looking out for me, Philip. My plan was coming together perfectly. The old man never suspected a thing. But the eye knew better. It bore into me, reading my intentions and filling me with monstrous rage. Which is exactly what it wanted, of course. The more agitated I became, the less I could focus on my mission, and the more likely I was to fail. Naturally, I drank to quiet the violence swelling inside of me. While I drank, patience came more easily. I needed all the patience I could get as I waited for the right moment to eradicate that horrible eye. That night, I helped the old man into bed as always. When I pulled the covers up, he told me he'd come to think of me as the son he never had. A tear fell from his good eye. But all the while, his pale blue eyes stared at me scornfully. I was moved by the old man's sentiment. But more than that, I knew something had changed. This was his way of giving his blessing. I could sense now that he felt the evil that lurked inside his eye socket just as surely as I did, and he was begging me to set him free. Finally, it was time. Never before had I felt so strong and so assured of my success. After I left the old man to sleep, I waited outside his door as I did every night, listening. Minutes passed, and before long, I heard snoring from inside the room, so I eased the door open and silently crept in. Despite my confidence, I was even more careful tonight than I'd been all week. Still, the old man stirred when I reached his bedside. I knew he'd awoken before he spoke, because his heartbeats grew louder and faster. It was a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. The old man bolted upright and cried into the darkness. Who's there? I hovered just an arm's length away, not moving a muscle, barely drawing a breath. Philip? Philip? He cried, hoping I would rush to his aid, never suspecting for a moment that I was the ghoul in the night. When there was no reply, the old man stayed sitting up in bed, terrified, listening. We remained like this for an eternity, frozen in an endless, silent standoff. He couldn't see me or hear me, he could feel me there, as if certain death was standing beside him. A low moan of dread spilled from his lips. 
it became clear that the old man wouldn't rest until he knew what was lurking in the night. So I slowly lifted the cloth from my lantern and illuminated him. His stooped shoulders heaved with his ragged breath. When he turned his head toward the light, my blood froze. There was that nefarious eye, open wide, staring at its enemy. The old man's fearful heartbeat began hammering so loudly that I was sure it would wake the neighbors. For the first time, I became afraid. I abandoned all control and leapt at the old man. He screamed in horror. I quickly closed my hands over his windpipe. I didn't want it to happen this way. The old man shouldn't have had to live his last moments in terror. But soon, I was relieved to hear the old man's heart slow, then stop. At last, success was mine. Coming up, Philip's plan gets significantly more messy. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility, and some implausible ones too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. You cannot imagine the relief I felt, Father, when I released my hands from the old man's crushed, lifeless neck. I had done it. That horrible, pale eye in his skull would torment me no more. But I would be a liar if I claimed that taking his life did not pain me. He was a gentle soul who trusted me deeply. And he had trusted me to set him free. You must understand, Father. I had done a service to humanity. I took a moment to savor my triumph over evil. Then I put the next phase of my plan into motion. 
I needed to store the old man's corpse where no one would find it, and I'd settled on the perfect hiding place days before. There was only one problem. His body wouldn't fit. Fortunately, I had anticipated this. I dragged the old man's carcass to the bathroom and helped him into the tub as I had so many times before. Once he was situated, I went to the linen closet. I'd hidden a handsaw beneath a stack of towels in anticipation of this moment. I quickly retrieved it and returned to the corpse. This part of my plan was particularly unsavory, but like everything that came before, it was utterly necessary. I gritted my teeth and got to work, sawing back and forth into the still warm body. Just as I'd anticipated, his limbs yielded to the blade with little effort and his blood ran cleanly down the drain. Before long, I'd easily removed his arms, legs and head. Then I tore that terrible eye from its socket, all without spilling a drop of blood on the floor. I walked to the old man's bedroom where I tossed the eye into the fire. Watching it smolder and turn to ash was incredibly gratifying. Imagine, father, getting to witness the vanquishment of evil. Next, I lifted three wooden floorboards beside the bed. A dark, narrow crawl space waited in the earth beneath. I returned to the bathroom and fetched the old man. Piece by piece, I tenderly laid his remains to rest in the shallow grave. Then, I carefully replaced the boards and rinsed out the tub. I walked around, admiring my handiwork. No one would ever know what had transpired here. Satisfied, I bathed myself clean of the old man's blood and settled with a drink by the fire. A knocking at the door disturbed my reverie. I was unafraid of being caught as my cover-up was impeccable, but I was perplexed by the time of the interruption. The old man's wall clock read 4 a.m., what on earth could a visitor want at this hour? As I made my way to the foyer, a peculiar image caught my eye. On the wall beside the front door lurked a shadow. It appeared human, but it wasn't mine. Its shoulders were far too... stooped. The old house was prone to odd tricks of light, but this was different. The shadowy form flitted away as I approached. I shook off the strange feeling and opened the door. Waiting on the other side were three police officers. One of the men apologized for the late hour and explained that a neighbor reported hearing a scream from the old man's house. They'd come to investigate. I gave an embarrassed laugh and told them that the cry was mine and that I was prone to night terrors. It made for a wonderful alibi. Still, they asked to come inside. I welcomed all three of them in. I explained that the old man had gone to visit a friend in the country and I was tending to the house in his absence. I followed as they traipsed through the property, opening doors and looking behind curtains. I must say, watching them search so thoroughly and not find anything amiss was extremely gratifying. It was further proof that my plan was completely sound a madman would have been caught in an instant. 
My friendly, casual manner seemed to put the officers at ease. I could tell they believed my story. So when we reached the old man's bedroom, I asked the three of them to sit and stay a while. I even planted my chair right over the recently disturbed floorboards. Oh, what a delightful game this was. After the stressful week I'd had, I deserved some fun. I engaged them in cheerful conversation, chatting about familiar things, the weather and so on, gleefully aware of my victim lying beneath my feet. However, my levity did not last long. My illness, my sensitivity betrayed me. I began to hear a sound, a familiar, impossible sound. It was a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. My head ached as I tried to understand what I was hearing. It was irrational, maddening, and yet unmistakable. Somehow, against all reason and logic, the old man's heartbeat thudded rhythmically beneath the floor. I began to speak more loudly and quickly to drown out the sound, but my efforts were futile against the relentless beating of the old man's heart. Before long, all of my senses felt flooded, my nose filled with the putrid rot of decaying flesh. My mouth tasted as foul as old milk. The very air around me felt so violent that my skin prickled with rigid goosebumps. My head spun and I closed my eyes. When I opened them again, the sickness had traveled to my vision. I saw blood everywhere, dripping from the walls, spilling from the fireplace, bubbling up through the floorboards. The police officers didn't see anything amiss. That's how I knew. It was all just a symptom of my illness. My acute senses had finally overwhelmed me. I felt so sick. My face must have been stark white. I wished they would leave me to rest. But the thundering of the old man's heart continued beneath the floorboards. It was so loud that I began to wonder if the officers could hear it too. I asked them to leave, but they remained in their seats. I looked at their smug, grinning faces, and I suddenly understood. They could hear the heartbeat. That's why they stayed. They knew. They were playing a game with me. That cursed heartbeat began to drown out all my thoughts. I couldn't bear it. I had only one move left and I made it. I pointed at the ground and cried. All right, officers. You have me. I killed him. I killed him. He's there. Beneath the floorboards, you can hear the hideous beating of his heart, but I can explain. And I did, Father. I explained everything to the officers. Of course, they had no mercy or empathy for my position. They locked me up where you see me now. Surely, 
a man of your faith can understand my good intentions. Surely you can see I don't belong behind bars. I am ill, yes, but not mad. Won't you recommend my release? Even though he had already been writing for a number of years, Edgar Allan Poe's first official job as a writer didn't come until 1835, when he was 26 years old. He relocated his family to Richmond, Virginia to accept a position with the Southern Literary Messenger. Poe's tenure at the Messenger lasted two years. Then, in 1838, he moved to Philadelphia, where he spent the most prolific decade of his career. During this time, Poe wrote dozens of poems and short stories, including The Pit and the Pendulum, The Fall of the House of Usher, and today's story, The Telltale Heart. Perhaps one reason Poe's literature resonates in the American canon is his ability to tap into the country's psyche. After all, the United States is built on subjugation and violence. Slavery, genocide, and oppression run through the lifeblood of the nation. And Poe was one of the first American authors to explore the psychological genesis of violence from the perspective of the perpetrator. In The Tell-Tale Heart, the narrator defends his brutality. Through this rationalization, Poe illustrates the false posturing and emotional manipulation offenders perform in order to justify horrifying crimes. But with every turn of the plot, the narrator undermines his own message. His violence has doomed him, in spite of how eloquently he justifies it. But this would not be Poe's only intelligent dissection of hypocrisy. Join us next week as we retell the story that contains Poe's immense fury at the cruelty of the rich. It's a tale inspired by his own lower-class upbringing and the tragic diseases that took his loved ones from him. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Janelle Malek, with writing assistance by Robert Teenstra and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audrian Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. I'm Sarah Turney, 
host of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Disappearances. Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances and even murder. We'll journey through the many reasons people disappear. Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.